I want you to open up in your Bibles to 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter uh, this, this morning. And uh, if you were uh, here last week, you know why I said uh, I'm glad that you came back, because this is part two of a message that we began last week. And if you weren't here uh, last week, then today, boy, are you in for a treat, okay? Um, because here's what's happening. As we've been studying the book of 1 Peter, Last week, we came across a section of God's word that speaks directly to the Christian as it pertains to our relationship with government. Um, I talked about that we as a church, we like to preach expositorily. That means we go through books of the Bible. And when a book of the Bible hits on a specific topic, we just don't simply move beyond it. We address what's there. And so it just so happens that at this time and place in history, we're in First Peter. We're facing everything that we're facing in the world. And this I idea, this concept of what is the relationship between the Christian and the government, it's talked about right here in First Peter in chapter 2. And so we started to touch on that last week, and I said that it makes complete sense that this section of First Peter would actually address the Christian's relationship to the government. And if you think back to the next, last week, oh, you know, I have my sunglasses on. I can't see. I'm going to take those off. There we go. Uh, I'm so comfortable. I want you to see my eyes if you can. Uh, as, as we were preaching through it, I said, you know, this book of 1 Peter is Peter writing to people just like you and I who are followers of Jesus Christ. And he's reminding us of our identity, who we are in Christ. And because of who we are in him, how that informs how we live in the world. If we are a chosen race, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, if we are beloved, if we are sojourners, if we are exiles, if this is our identity, then how does all of that being true of us, inform how we live. Because Peter's main point in this book is we are people of God's kingdom, and that is our identity, and because we are, that impacts the way that we live. But, but the reason why Peter then would talk about the Christian's relationship to government is if you start thinking so much about your identity and who you are, how you belong to God, how you're his beloved, how you've been freed from the penalty, the power, and one day the presence of sin because of Jesus, you can begin to wonder, well, what if any responsibility, what if any relationship do I have to the authority structures that exist in our world? I mean, if Jesus is king, what is the emperor to me? What's the president to me? What are kings to me? What are governors to me? And so Peter knows that it's a tendency within the human heart to go there. And, and so he writes these words in verse 13. Remember them from last week? Let me remind us of them. He comes in verse 13 and he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do what? Good. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. Peter clearly says in these verses that as followers of Jesus Christ, while we belong to God, while our allegiance is to him, first and foremost, at the same time, Peter says you have a relationship to the government. That we as the people of God are to recognize the authority structures that exist in the world and that there is a right and appropriate way as the people of God to respond to them. So last week, here's what we said. Here is the main, main point. We, as Christ followers, have the responsibility to recognize and place ourselves under the authority of the leaders and the laws where we live. In this context... 
with what Peter is saying here, he's saying, here's your responsibility. As the people of God, you must not just completely disassociate yourself from the places where you live and the governments that are over you, but you are to recognize them. He says very clearly, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And he's saying that not as a suggestion, it's an imperative, it's a command. You're to recognize and you're to come under these governing authorities. And so that idea of being subject, one of the big keys that I said last week that we've got to remember is, is like, listen, Peter acknowledges in verse 16 that we're free. Peter acknowledges that, that God is our ultimate authority. And he says, you're free, but he says, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for sin. Meaning, listen, these governments that exist, they've been instituted by God. We're to come under their authority. You're free to disobey them, but God's desire for you is to ultimately recognize them as authority structures and recognize the authority that God has given them and to come underneath those authorities, to obey the laws, to obey the, the governments that have been placed over you. This text, again, in the immediate context, was written to guard us from simply believing that, that although God is king above all things, it doesn't mean that we're free to do whatever we want and to disregard the governments of the places in which we live. And then we closed out last week when we looked and we saw in verse 17 that we're, that we're called to give, to give honor And so it doesn't just simply mean that we recognize these authority structures. It's not just that we submit to those laws, but that we engage with them in a way that is ultimately honorable. Now, as I was saying all those things last week, do you remember I kept saying something over and over again? I said, we hear this message that we're called to come underneath governing authorities. And the one thing that keeps coming into our minds, though, as we hear that is, but is there ever a time to disobey, right? We're Americans. We're founded upon independence. We, we threw off the tyranny of Great Britain. And, and so, so, so is, does this mean that, that we're called to, to just simply blindly follow and blindly obey? And the answer that I gave last week was a short one. I, I said, no. We don't just blindly follow. We don't just simply always obey. God has given us principles to understand that there is a time and a place when we must not obey our governing authorities. But I said last week, that's not the, the point of the message. That's going to be the point of this week's message, okay? But do you remember what I closed us with last week? I said, as the people of God, if our identity is what it is, we're beloved by him. If we're to be holy as he is holy, I said last week that before we ever think about civil disobedience, God would call us to put into practice three things. Do you remember what those three things were? Let me, let me just rehearse them for you. I said the first one was God calls us to pray for our leaders. The second thing that we talked about is that we're to speak honorably about our leaders, not to slander them, not to call them idiots, not to call them stupid, not to cut them down. We're to speak words that are ultimately not words that are filled with malice and anger. And then we're supposed to use the freedom that God has given us to live holy lives. So so here's my question. How did it go this past week? (laughs) How'd you do if you were to give yourself a grade? I talked to somebody this week and they said, uh, mark me down D minus, okay? (laughs) Because, because in this day and age, with everything that's happening, there's, there's a real momentum to say, let's rebel, let's go against, government is overreaching, all of these kinds of things. And, and what we're going to say is maybe that's right and true, but the first thing that we need to ask ourselves is, though, in response to our government in general, are we displaying the fruit of the Spirit? 
Are we displaying the holiness that is ours in and through Jesus Christ? Because church, that's what we're supposed to be as the people of God. And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say at the very end of this message. If and when we come to places where we have to disobey, that's the exact same character and nature that we should display as well. God calls us to submit to the governing authorities where we live and to live in such a way as that we manifest the character and nature of Jesus Christ. But, but is there ever a time, ever a time when we are called to disobey? Are we always to do what the government tells us? Should we always obey the laws established by our government? Well, today we're going to see very clearly that God tells us, no. There are times when we should not obey. There are times when we have the freedom to disobey and also have the freedom to keep on obeying. My hope for us is that when it's all said and done, we will have a some clear principles from the word of God that help us to navigate that. And so I'm going to do my best I can to, to illustrate this from the word of God this morning. And the reason why I can come to you and say just right out of the chute here that there are times when we can obey can disobey the government, go against this, be subject to governing authorities? It's because the exact same guy that wrote the words, be subject to governing authorities, we also discover him in a passage of scripture blatantly disregarding the governing authorities. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, let me give you a little background of what's happening here. I love this passage because in this passage, Peter, the guy who wrote, which we just read about being subject to governing authorities, comes and he, and he does something. He, he rejects what his government calls him to do. Um, to give you a little background here, Jesus Christ, as he prepares to ascend into heaven, he gives his church he gives his followers a command go therefore into all the gospel or into all the world and proclaim the gospel he says all authority in heaven and his earth has been given to me so go and do this and so guess what those first followers do they obey jesus they start proclaiming jesus christ as king jesus christ is lord and the and the um religious rulers in jerusalem the ones with the authority they they see the disciples doing this and they come to them in acts chapter four and they say hey 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 um, we want you to stop preaching about Jesus. They give him a warning. They bring in Peter. They bring in John. They say, we hear you guys preaching. We'd like you not to do that. But guess what Peter and John do? They go back and they keep preaching about Jesus. They blatantly disregard what these officials had have told them. And then in Acts chapter 5, what do the officials do? They go out and they arrest the apostles for preaching about Jesus. They throw him in jail. And then in Acts chapter 5, verse 19, we read these words. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to do what? To teach. They went back to proclaiming the gospel. And, and so just right here in Acts chapter 5, what do we see? First, we see the disciples disobeying the authorities by preaching the gospel. Then, notice this, they disobey the authorities a second time. Because while they're in jail, the doors fling open. And do they stay in jail? Do they say, the governing officials, they put us here. 
And so we need to obey them. We need to stay in jail because that's what the officials said we should do. Is that what they do? No, they disobey again. They get out of the jail and then they disobey a third time because they go right back to preaching. And needless to say, when they start doing that, the authorities find out they're not too thrilled about it. This time, rather than going and arresting them because they're afraid of what the crowds would do, they come to them and they say in verse 28, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? You're disobeying. You need to stop. Verse 29, look at what Peter says. But Peter and the apostles, so is Peter the only one that says it? No, they all agree. We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. The same Peter who says we should be subject to governing authorities, here in this text is showing us that there is a line that when crossed, the people of God no longer have the responsibility, the obligation to live in submission to the government. Peter is showing us here so clearly, church family, that there is no such thing as blind obedience to government. Now, one of the things I had to wrestle through this week, and I'm going to wrestle with it with you, is this. Isn't Peter contradicting himself? Peter, which, which, which one is it? Be subject or, or not? I want to tell you as I've wrestled through this that no, he's not contradicting himself. It only seems like God's word is not being consistent if we forget one little thing. And it's called sphere sovereignty. It's what we began talking about last week, and I want to remind us of it. What is sphere sovereignty? It's not a term that we throw around all that often, but let me remind you. Sphere sovereignty says that God is the ultimate ruler over all things. Can I get an amen and a hallelujah to that? There is only one who can claim ownership and authority over every inch of this world and this universe, <coughs> and it is God. We must always remember this, and sphere sovereignty says God is our ultimate authority. At the same time as God being Lord over all, we know from the scriptures that God has established, like in this text in First Peter, God has established different authority structures in the world, and he's given them a purpose. He's given them a role, and those roles, that purpose of those authority structures are for the good of humanity, for human flourishing. God is the ultimate authority, but in our world, there exist these other spheres. The, the three most clearly identified, although I would say there are some secondary ones as well, are the family, the church, and government. And so when Peter says be subject to every human institution, to emperors, to governors, he says that we do this because they are, verse 14, sent by God. God has clearly said in his world there would be governmental authorities. It's not a man-made thing. 
governments as they exist, exist because God has instituted them. Paul said it. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority, I love this, except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So before we ever get to the place of saying we need to rebel against government or we should follow the government blindly, we have to recognize that governments have been instituted by God, but not only that, they've been given a very specific role. So why I say sphere sovereignty is this, government has a sphere and a role and authority, Family has a, has a sphere, a role, and authority, and the church has a sphere and a role and authority. And, and there are limits to that, as I'm going to say in just a minute, because look at what it says here. What's the purpose of government? In First Peter, in Romans, it says to punish the evil and to ultimately praise and support the good. This is what he says. These governments are sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Paul says... For he is God's servant for your good, that is the governing officials. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. God has established the sphere of government, and governments exist to hold people accountable to when they violate the law of God. That's the government's sphere. Now, in other passages, we're gonna, we can see very quickly, I don't have time to go there today, we'll be here forever, but we see the family is instituted and it's given its purpose. You have husbands and wives, you have children, and, and husbands and wives function in a way where ultimately the, the husband is the head of the home, the wife comes alongside and, and supports the leadership of the husband, and children are ultimately to obey their parents. This is the design of God. So the parents lead in such a way so that children flourish, would ultimately have their own families, and they would repeat that cycle. We see that over and over again in God's word. We also see that God establishes the structure of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, but then he says, here's your mission, go and make disciples. But as you do that, God clearly again comes and says, I've appointed leaders, elders who are under Jesus Christ, who are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so here's part of the reason why we have church membership here at Valley Center Community Church is because God says the church is to have leaders. And then God also says individual Christians, you and me, are supposed to identify the leaders whom we ultimately are to come underneath. So like I'm not responsible for the congregation over at Grace Point or Ridgeview or Emmanuel Faith. And the people over there, they come under the leadership of those pastors, of those elders, because that's their church. Are you following with me? God has established these spheres all for the good of human flourishing. Now, here is where in one breath, Peter can say, be subject to governing authorities, and in another sense say, no, I reject government and what they're telling me to do. And here's why. You might want to write this down if you're taking it. Otherwise, go back and listen to it later. Here's a statement I'm going to make. Each sphere, each sphere that God has designed has jurisdictional boundaries that are to be acknowledged and respected by the other spheres. Let me break that down. The role and authority of each sphere, God has given limits to. So as an example, the church of God proclaims the word of God and his laws. 
but the church is not given the responsibility to bear the sword. You tracking with me? The church is not responsible for punishing the evildoer. God gave that role to who? The government. The church, while called by God to instruct God's people, are you ready for this? The church is not responsible for raising your children. Hallelujah. No, that is the responsibility given to the parents in the home. That does not mean that the church is not to speak into the family, is not to communicate to fathers and mothers what God's word says and what they are to do as parents, but it's not our responsibility, just as it's not the government's responsibility to raise your children. Are you, are you following me? Each one has its sphere. The government will, though, punish your child if they're caught breaking the law, <laughs> but they don't raise your child. Now, with all that said, you and I will find ourselves in any one given moment engaging in each of these spheres. But the role of each sphere is designed and defined by God, and it should not cross over into another sphere. So now I will say as clearly as I can, God has not granted governments authority over the doctrine, the polity or the practice of the church that's not the government's sphere more simply put the government has not been given the authority by god to dictate the life and the practice of the church that is a responsibility given to the people of god and to the leadership within the church in the same way that the government is not responsible for dictating the life and practice of the family And in the same way, the church is not responsible for policing the streets or creating immigration policy. Each has been given a sphere. Now, no sooner do I say that than we have to recognize governments do have the right to exercise authority over the church and the family when the church or family is engaged in doing that which is evil. If the church or the family, which is possible, goes against the law of God, the government does have the authority to intervene. So, the sex abuse of children by priests and pastors is not a private church matter. Period. End of story. It's punishable, it's wicked, it's evil, and the government should intervene. A husband abusing his wife or children is not a private matter just within the home. The government is responsible, and the church is responsible for calling it out, and the government is responsible for punishing it. A pastor embezzling money is not a private church matter between the pastor and the church. You break the law, punishment should be met, and the government is there to do that. Again, you following me? But as I say all that, here's what we see happening in Peter's relationship to government and the apostles' relationship to the government. Let us keep before us this. God has not granted governments the authorities over the doctrine, the practice, or the polity of the church. So you ask the question, when do we disobey? First principle, 
when the government exercises its authority beyond what God has established, we do not have to obey. Did you hear me? When the government established by God exercises its authority, moves into other spheres, we do not have to obey. The reason why I say we don't have to obey will become clear in just a moment. But one of the things we must recognize is that when the government comes in and says, here's what the church is to be, here's what the church is to do, here's how the church is to worship, that is not the role of the government. And so when the government, for whatever reason, starts to do that, we as the people of God say they've overstepped their bounds, the the legitimate bounds that God has ordained for them. And a government can give any reason they want for imposing upon the church the what, when, and how it can worship and fulfill what God has called it to do. They can do that all they want. They can do it till they're blue in the face. But we as the people of God must be abundantly clear on something. The moment the government starts doing that, we have to be clear that that's not their role that God has given to them. And in those instances, we as a church, the people of God, are not bound to obey. Let me give you some historical examples of this. Something that we forget about, or maybe we're just not aware of. Two, one in the past, one that's happening right now. We've been having a lot of discussions on this as pastors and elders. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Pastor Allen was talking to us early on, and one of the things that he brought to my attention was two things. Did you know that Christianity was never banned in communist Russia? During the height of communism in Russia, Christianity was never banned. People were able to actually practice Christianity in communist Russia. In fact, did you know today that Christianity is not forbidden in communist China? Did you know that? Let me break this down, though. Christianity was always legal in communist Russia, and it is legal in China today. But here's the thing. Both in communist Russia and in communist China, you can only practice Christianity according to how the government says you can do so. You can only worship in the places both in communist Russia and in communist China today that the government says that you can worship. You can only sing the songs the government says that you can sing. You can only meet according to the size that the government says that you can meet. See, we look at those two places and we think about the oppression of Christians in those locations, and it's true. But all the while, both governments with a smile on your face would say, we don't ban Christianity. No, 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 we just tell them how they can practice it. And you know that China today comes and says that it does not persecute Christians. They just simply come and they say that we tell the church how and when to worship Because these limitations, are you ready for this? This is the stance of the Communist Party of China. These limitations are good for the rest of society. See, that's the thought process, and that's the reasoning of the Communist Chinese government. Go ahead, you can practice Christianity, but it's got to be this way. And you've got to say these things, and you can't say these things. And we limit you in size and who can meet and where you can meet, because ultimately, it's for the good of society. 
God has established the spheres. And each sphere is to respect the other and not to cross into the other apart from reasons that God says that they should intercede. So, a government can give any reason they want for imposing on the church what, when, and how it can worship. Again, they can do that till they're blue in the face, but that is not the role of the government. There can be an exceptionally good and right reasons for potentially not singing inside a church building. There can be an exceptionally good and right reason for not gathering at night. Like in World War II, the government of Great Britain came to the churches and said, for the love of neighbor, would you please not hold evening services with the lights on because any place where the lights are on, the Germans who are coming to bomb us know that people are there and then they drop their bombs and they kill the people that are there. Well, that seems like a pretty solid reason for maybe not meeting at night. And there can be an exceptionally good and right reason for the government when it comes and says a hurricane is about to hit Florida on Sunday morning. We think it would be well advised for you not to go out and meet in gatherings. So I'm not saying that there might not be wisdom in the government asking the church and the church actually listening to the government. But what I'm saying, what I believe God's word says, is that when the government says this way and this way alone is how you can meet and worship, and here are the consequences for not obeying, I'm just going to say as humbly as I can, I think they've overstepped their bounds. No matter what the reason, the government should not exercise authority over the church's life and practice because where does it end? Where does it begin? Now, as I say that, listen to me very carefully. Does this mean, though, that we might not find ourselves at time agreeing with the government and choosing to follow them? I just told you that the government, it, it shouldn't overstep its bound, but sometimes the government's going to come to us and it's going to say, say, you know what, we don't want you to do that. In fact, we're mandating this. That's not to say that we, as the people of God, might say, you know what, we agree with that. We agree with that wisdom. We don't think that's your role. We don't think you have the authority to do that, but we're going we're gonna to follow. We see wisdom in that. We, we see bombs falling every night, and we think, yeah, probably not a smart thing to worship at night with the lights on. There's other times that we could worship. That, that makes sense to us. So the government thinks, yeah, we, we, maybe we got one over. We're, we're mandating the church. And church is like, you know what? Think whatever you want. But you know what? We're going to follow just because we think it's wise. But listen to me. If you follow this principle, this also means that there will at times be Christians who do not listen to the government and do absolutely foolish things and because of the way that they act and conduct themselves and potentially don't listen, will bring shame upon the name of Jesus Christ. But that's a risk that we have to take. Because at the end of the day, the government is not in a position to tell the church how it is to practice its faith and its life. God is our ultimate authority, and he has established authority structures in the world. So you asked the question last week, not out loud, but I know in your minds, when, when do we disobey? 
Well, I'm going to give you one principle. And let me restate it. When the government exercises its authority beyond what God has established for it, we do not have to obey. We do not have to obey. We might. We might choose to. We might say, you know what, there's wisdom there. But, but choosing to doesn't mean that we're giving over our authority to the government. We're coming and we're saying we, we agree with them, but they shouldn't overstep. But then there's something else, a second principle for when we find ourselves having to obey. And this one, these next two are non-negotiable. I shared them with you last week. And it's this. If God says we are to do something and the government says that we cannot, forbids us from doing so, we have to disobey the government. This is what was happening with Peter in the book of Acts. God said, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel, Peter. The government said, no. Peter's response, the apostles' response was what? We must obey God rather than man. Let me give you an OT example. Let's go Old Testament. In the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, Daniel and his buddies, if you remember this, early in the book, they're carried off to Babylon. They, They leave the land of promise. They're carried to a foreign nation. And later in Daniel's life, he, he heard of an edict through the government. The king was tricked. He signed an edict that said that you could only pray to the king and the king alone for 30 days. So what does Daniel do? Daniel says, I must obey God rather than man. God comes to me and says that I'm to pray to him and to him alone. And so he throws open his window and he prays every day in the sight of those who would see him to his God and not to the king. And what happens? He's thrown into the lion's den. God spares his life. Daniel knew that he was supposed to pray to God and God alone. And so he disobeyed. If God says we are to do something, i.e. pray to him and him alone, and the government says you should not do that, we must obey God rather than men. All over the world today, there are people who are meeting and gathering, worshiping God in countries and in places where it is forbidden to do so at risk to their lives. In those places where the government says you cannot practice Christianity, people are saying we must obey God rather than man. And they're doing it in defiance of their government. Now, similar to this is the third principle, which is if God says we cannot do something and the government commands us to do it, follow me, If God says that we cannot do something and the government commands us to do it, we must, again, disobey the government. Again, going to the book of Daniel. Daniel had three buddies. You remember their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The ruler at that time of Babylon sets up this large image and says that everyone must bow down and worship that image. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they hear the edict. And again, they say, our God says that we can worship only him and him alone. And so do do they bow the knee? Do they do what the government tells them to do? No. And because of that, they face the consequence of being thrown into the fiery furnace. And yet again, God spares them. But the resolve of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is, is they come and they say, before the king, they say, listen, our God is able to save us from this punishment, this fiery furnace. But if he does not, that doesn't mean that he's any less God. Go back and check that out. That's in Daniel chapter 3. There's one other story. In the book of Exodus, the midwives are called upon to kill the the babies as they're being born. Pharaoh says, you got to kill them. The midwives in Exodus said, we're not going to do it. 
We can't commit murder. We can't kill these, these babies. They disobey even though the government says you must do this. Why? Because they say, God says we can't do that. So the three principles, when the government exercises its authority beyond what God has established, we do not have to obey. If God says we are to do something and the government says we can't, we have to disobey. If God says we can't do something, the government commands us to do it, we have to disobey. And with all those principles in mind, sometimes it will be abundantly clear. Sometimes we'll be able to rise up as a church and we'll say, yeah, no, this is the time. We're being commanded to do something. We can't do it. But I'm going to tell you the most difficult one of the three of these to know, when is it the time? Is when the government comes and it oversteps its sphere. And so here's where I want to land the plane and, and begin ending with this. Is that God's word doesn't just simply come and tell us, Here, here's when you have to disobey. It also comes and it lays forth for us that if you're going to do that, here's how. Here's how. Flip back over to 1 Peter if you're not there. 1 Peter chapter 2. At the very end of this long section, next week, Pastor Allen's going to bring a message to us about um, how this all works out in employer-employee relationships with slaves and masters and all of that. But, but at the very end of all this section where, where we're wrestling through how we live this out, look at what. Look at what Peter says, starting in verse 20. If you're going to disobey, if you're going to disobey, if you're going to go against governing authorities, keep this in mind. For what credit is it, verse 20 says, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And here it is, church. If you're thinking about when we obey and then what that looks like when we do so, we follow Christ's example. He committed no sin. If you're going to say, government, you have overstepped your bounds, we can't follow. Number one, we can't respond in sin. They're violating what God has called them to do, but we don't use that as an excuse ourselves to sin. And you might say, so what does that look like? Well, he tells us, neither was deceit found in his mouth. The way then that he spoke about those in authority, those who were exercising in the, in the incorrect way, he was not sinful in his speech. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. There's not a tit for tat in our response here. When he suffered, he did not, look at that, threaten, but continued doing what? Entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Church family. Every time we see within the scriptures, the people of God rising up and saying, here's a place, here's a time where we must obey God rather than men. One of the things that we see so clearly demonstrated is that they never commit violence. They never curse the people who are, who are punishing them. They never respond in anger and they take the consequences for their rebellion. 
It's why I said last week, before we ever start looking at rebellion, let us first practice praying for our leaders, speaking well of our leaders, and then ultimately living holy lives with the freedom that we have. Why? Because when it comes time to disobey, that should be the exact same thing that we put on display for a watching world. Because you and I have been redeemed, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is who we are. And we must be prepared, dear friends. If we go against a government when it is commanding us to do that which God says we cannot do, we have to be prepared for the consequences. We have to be willing to take it. Now, does that mean that we run headlong into it? Does, does that mean that when we know we're doing that, that goes against the government, that we run headlong and like, I'm rebelling, all right, punish me. Is that what, is that what we say? We have this great example of Paul when he was preaching in, in this one city and the governing authorities were ultimately wanting to arrest him. And, and if you remember this in the book of Acts, they throw Paul in a basket and they lower him over the side of the, of the wall. There was a warrant out for his arrest, but the Christians were like, well, there's a warrant out for your arrest. We must obey the government. Here you go, Paul. <laughs> no, he takes off. At the same time, later in Paul's life, when he is told that he shouldn't be preaching about Jesus and then he's wrongfully punished, he exercises every option as a citizen of the Roman Empire in order to ultimately resolve that peacefully. But it ends up with him dying nonetheless. So before we come and we say, yeah, let's, let's do this, let's rebel, let's whatever, the government is overstepped. Are you putting into practice the spirit of Jesus Christ? Are you prepared for the consequences? So I'm going to close with just two applications. I know you probably have some questions. I would love to hear those. Um, I know that one message does not answer everything. But let me give you like two applications. One that doesn't seem to necessarily fit, but I'm making it fit. No, bear with me. And one that goes right along with it. Here's the first application. As we wrestle through this, let me just say something. As Christian people who live where we live, who have the freedom to literally have a voice in choosing who will represent us in government, are you tracking with me? As followers of Jesus Christ who live in a country that affords us the freedom to elect officials who will represent us in government, after studying what we studied and, and heard from God the role of government, which is to punish what is evil and to praise what is good, living in a country where we live, can I tell you that every time you go to the poll, what your first concern should be as someone whose allegiance is to Jesus and who actually knows the very role and purpose of government, do, do you know what your first concern should be? Are the people that I am choosing to elect those who understand the difference between right and wrong? Are the people that I'm electing, are they someone who I know based upon their stated position will enact laws that support what is evil and not what is good. You and I as Christians live in a country where we have the freedom to elect officials who will look to fulfill what this says. And it blows my mind that Christians would ever go to the polls 
knowing that the word of God says, here's the role of government, and vote for people that they know are going to support and enact laws that are evil. I don't get political or passionate often, but after seeing this and seeing what's happening in our country, you and I are free to vote and support people. Listen, I'm not putting my hope in any government. My hope is in Jesus Christ. But as a citizen of heaven who has a responsibility here, think long and hard about this verse when you vote for anyone. Is this a person who I know will put laws in place or support laws that are evil? Why would you vote for them? Second application. In the state of California today, our governor has mandated that churches cannot gather indoors. Churches can't sing indoors. And at one point he said that we couldn't meet at all. While his reasons might be completely valid and history will decide all of that. Based upon what we have read today, based upon what God's word teaches, that's overstepping his sphere. When the governor gave his mandate, we said at the time that we chose to comply. You go back, you can listen to me. It's on tape. We didn't say that we're doing this because the governor mandated it. We said, we're not going to meet for the time being because we're choosing to comply with this order. The fact that I said we're choosing to comply indicates that we also had the choice to what? Not comply. Thank you. Pretty simple and straightforward. And I want you to know that as leadership within the church, every decision that we make going forward as we navigate these crazy times is going to be based upon these principles, based upon coming before God, seeking his wisdom as the ever-changing mandates and ordinances of our government come down the pike. We will always hold to the truth, as I said four months ago, that Jesus Christ is king and our allegiance is to him. But as we look to do that, as we consider these things, we're going to let God and his word guide and lead every decision that we make. Is it going to be easy? <laughs> do you think it's been easy? No. But we're going to entrust ourselves, as this verse says, look at it again. Following the example of Jesus, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And so we're going to continue to do that. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know the fullness of what we will do or not do in response to what our government is saying. But you can see by our actions, the way that we're gathering, and the things that, w- that we're doing, that we recognize when government has overstepped its, its bounds. But let me also be clear for you on this. Be very, very careful, church, to understand that the government still has a role and still has a sphere. And it can do things and it can say things within that sphere that's within its prerogative to do. And you might not agree with it. You might politically disagree with it. And so I would say in that sphere, use the means that God has given you to, to, to seek your freedoms in those things. 
But as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, no matter if it's in the government, no matter if it's in response to the church or in response to the family, we are to be a people who demonstrate and live out the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? And so my prayer for us is that the Lord would help us. And as we look to follow Christ, I want to leave you with this. For the elders of Valley Center Community Church, God has given us the responsibility for making the decisions for this church. For this church. We have dear brothers and sisters in the Lord that are in other churches, and they're going to make decisions as far as how they live out these principles that might look different to us. And we're, gonna, we're not going to slander them. We're not going to cut them down. We're not going to speak out against them. We're going to say, for, for us and our church, under Jesus Christ as our Lord, for him as the head, this is what we're trying to do, to live out the gospel faithfully in all spheres. And so would you pray for us? Would you pray for one another? Would you pray for other churches as we wrestle through these things? And would you join me in continuing to pray for our country and for those countries around the world that God would give leaders a heart to respect, to recognize their spheres for the praise and the glory of his name and for the good of all people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we wrestle through these things knowing that there's not always a clear road ahead, that instead you continue to be the God who invites us to call upon you for wisdom. And so, Lord, would you give us that wisdom to live as your people in this world, following where you lead, not getting ahead of you, not being presumptuous. Lord, but help us to be wise and discerning with the word that you've entrusted to us. For my dear church family and for my own family, Lord, may holiness be first and foremost on our minds and the way that we love one another and the way that we love our neighbors and the way that we respond to our government. So that, Lord, at the end of the day, the one thing that could never be said about us is that our conduct towards one another, the way that we spoke, the way that we acted, Lord, was anything other than, than love. And so, Father, I close by praying for the leaders here in California, in the United States, and around the world. Lord, may they focus on, may they see clearly the spheres that you have set aside for them, and may they do it justly. Lord, speaking out and punishing that which is evil. And Lord, praising, supporting those who do good. We ask this in Christ's name, and all God's people said, amen and amen.